The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Prom night is uh, coming around in the next month. There should be many people going to prom. Unfortunately, prom brings a lot of issues like uh, getting drunk and uh, having unprotected sex. Uh, so and quite a few uh, people will lose their virginity on prom night as well. So tonight we'll talk about what parents need to know, what teens need to know to better protect themselves with uh, our teen sexuality panel that's coming up after 10.15. But first... Let's take a look at the inbox. Make a connection anytime at 514-800. You can also email me your questions anytime to laurie at drlaurie.com. This one I got late uh, last night, so let me share this one first. How could I know when the ovulation is? So talking about uh, when a person ovulates. Uh, So first of all, one of your ovaries releases an egg, which is what ovulation is, about 14 days before a period starts. So the first day of your period, which is the day you start bleeding, is counted as day one of your cycle. If you have a 28-day cycle, you'll usually ovulate sometime between day 10 and day 15 of your cycle. Some women feel their ovulation, so they get pains in their uh, in their ovaries. It's called middle schmerz. I know it's such a weird name. I wouldn't even know how to spell it. Um, and uh, people also want to know about having sex and can you get pregnant while you're on your period. So it's unlikely, like it's not a high percentage that you can get pregnant, but it's not impossible. So you need to know that it's not impossible. You are fertile, meaning you can easily get pregnant if you're fertile, on the days leading up to and around the time of ovulation because the sperm has a lifespan. It actually lasts a few days. So um, if you have a short cycle, you could be ovulating right after your period. So you have to keep that in mind. 514-800 if you want to text in a question or you want to text in uh, a comment or maybe some of your own experiences with some of the things that I'm sharing tonight, feel free, please. 514-800. For the women losing virginity, is something breaking of, of the hymen or having sexual intercourse. But for men, what is losing virginity? So I think you're asking, so yes, for a a woman, uh, the sign of uh, losing your virginity is the breaking of the hymen. That's like in quotation marks because it's not actually broken, but like stretched. Uh, And usually, well, that's done uh, accompanied by sexual intercourse. But you need to know that you can still stretch a hymen with other kinds of activities and not necessarily just intercourse, certain exercises, etc. But it's a good question. Like when it comes to men, there's no sign. There's no like actual sign of losing one's virginity. Just take a person's word for it, I guess. Um, But usually the definition of a man who loses loses his virginity is one who has had intercourse for the first time, but there's just no 
physical way to tell. But this only applies to the straight population. When you look at same-sex relationship, uh, losing a virginity could be when there's oral sex or, or anal intercourse. Many gay men do not practice anal intercourse. So what's the definition then, right? So I think a good question, and maybe you guys can answer it as well, but I think to ask ourselves, especially in this day and age, when is sex sex? When is sex sex? And why is oral sex not considered sex by a lot of people? Unfortunately, when we hear the word sex, we refer to intercourse, but we do talk about oral sex, anal sex. Isn't that sex just the same? So I think it's just something for us to uh, to think about. When is sex sex? When do you lose your virginity? And is that just an outdated thing about the just the hymen and therefore what? Only straight, uh, only women lose their virginity? Only straight women lose their virginity that way? Only straight guy? Uh, like, think about the whole thing. It just doesn't make all that much sense, right? Uh, my performance anxiety has gotten to the point that my visceral response to sex is avoidance. I barely get laid, so my experiences have been few and far between. But I've never had any bad feedback, so I don't understand why I'm feeling this way. My libido is lower than it has ever been. I'm only 25. It's worrying me a bit. How do people typically overcome this? So we're talking about anxiety here, or, or more specifically, you're right, performance anxiety. It's, we look at that as an irrational fear. And when we fear something, we avoid that something, no matter what it is that you fear. So it's, you haven't been given any negative feedback. So this anxiety is irrational then, right? It has to be all in your head. Uh, because there's no proof to the contrary. And I usually see performance anxiety in men who also experience anxiety in other areas of life. So I would want you to check that, like check in with yourself and see, are you an anxious person uh, in other areas? Lower libido is also probably related to all of this. I mean, avoiding it, it's like the defense mechanism of the body. Like, why should I have desire if I'm going to avoid having sex? I might as well shut it down. So it's kind of your body's way of shutting that down. Uh, I would highly recommend that you see someone, that you seek out therapy with a therapist who, who specializes in treating anxiety disorders. You don't even need a sex therapist, but somebody who just treats anxiety uh, disorders and read up a little bit on performance anxiety. There's a lot of, uh, there are some, some good articles out there on performance anxiety because it could be due to many things, many different kinds of, uh, of fears. Off, sometimes it's fear of just not uh, lasting enough, a fear of not being good enough, um, or you're so in your head about performing that you're not in your body. And so then you end up with some kind of erectile dysfunction. And then once that sets in, then you worry about getting an erect, a, 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 um, a loss of erection in your next one. And that sets you on this path of just like a self-fulfilling prophecy where it will happen simply because you're worried about it. And then that leads to avoidance. And then that leads to low libido. 
So there's a whole chain of events here. So we want to be able to get to the core issue of what it is that you uh, you fear. And it may not be so obvious to you. So talking this out with somebody would be uh, really, really, um, really helpful. Interesting question. What are some foods to eat that will make your vagina free of yeast infections and make your vagina taste great for your partner when engaged in oral sex. I haven't found much research out there that definitively proves that certain foods like help your vagina fight infection or smell good or taste good or what have you. But there is plenty of anecdotal uh, evidence that suggests that certain foods uh, do help. So for example, you taught, you ask about yeast infection. So eating um, probiotic rich foods like yogurt helps keep the balance of bacteria in your system, which includes the vaginal uh, bacteria. You should avoid food that is high in uh, in sugar because that increases the vagina's pH levels and make, may make you more susceptible to yeast infections. Uh, apparently, eating garlic can help too, but I don't know about how that will affect in terms of uh, of the of change of, of taste of whatever fluid you've got. But I, I do know that eating certain fruits like pineapples and berries can make people taste sweeter. Remember the you are what you eat kind of thing, right? Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about prom night and any other teen sexual health issues. Uh, I mean, there's lots to talk about, but the main thing that's on a lot of people's minds is prom nights coming up. So how do we protect ourselves? How do we make it safer in many different aspects, but sexually speaking as well with my Teen Talk panel coming up. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Prom night is uh, coming up. Uh, I guess the high schools have different uh, different nights or different days leading up. This is the month though, right? Come be May, June, uh, leading up to prom night. People are planning everything. What they don't plan though is how to stay safe. And I'm just going to share some statistics with you to give you an idea. Uh, 14% of girls have sex on prom night. 5% of girls surveyed lost their virginity on prom night. And 3% of the guys lost their virginity on prom night. 53% of students get drunk on prom night. And we know when we mix alcohol and sex, what happens? Or when we mix alcohol and teenagers, what happens? And this gets pretty scary, these statistics. Joining us in studio for our Teen Talk panel, Tanya Damore. She is a community health advocate, worker, uh, teen advocate. She's the vice president of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec. And Sean Jarvis, who is a high school science teacher. So I'm, I'm sure, Sean, you're hearing uh, all the talk about uh, prom and the dates and, and people, you know, couples coming together I don't know what what's going on in your school <laughs> well absolutely and I mean it's we're in the middle of May now so the grade 11s have been checked out for over a month because CGIP applications have the, the right. results of that have come back and I think there's a certain amount of excitement but also a certain level of anxiety too 
in terms of, okay, do I have someone to accompany me to prom? Um, am I going to be able to be included in a certain group to be able to go to a party afterwards? Oh, yeah, the uh, after party. The right. after party. Uh, what outfit am I going to wear? All these things. And, but nobody's worried about... I should bring condoms. I should protect myself. I, 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 right? I, <laughs> that I, you don't hear. I, no, I haven't heard that. Um, but I think definitely, I mean, look, there's been an expectation. There's been expectations surrounding prom for decades. as long as for decades. Yeah. Exactly. And I think the biggest thing, biggest concerns that parents and teachers have is that, look, we know that you got, you, these kids are going to do something, do, do things. And uh, we just want to make sure that they're safe. Right. Well, you know? I think as parents, as teachers, as health advocates and teen advocates, that, that's exactly what we want to do is make sure they're safe. But we need to get the message out there. So I was reading something which I thought was was really well said. The do's and don'ts of sex on prom night uh, for kids. So this is uh, some advice for kids. Uh, do protect yourself and be aware that condoms break. There are always consequences to every action. Is this a boy or girl you trust? It wouldn't hurt both partners to get a clean bill of health from their physicians before prom. Alright, there's that. Uh, number two, don't expect to see your prom date in the summer, make sure this is the person you want to share this experience with without requiring it to be permanent. In other words, oftentimes it isn't necessarily a boyfriend long-term relationship that you or girlfriend that you're losing your virginity to. Uh, prom forces a lot of romance that wouldn't normally occur. Prince Charming may actually be a toad after graduation. <laughs> uh, don't do anything you wouldn't want tweeted. If you don't want to see your date status change to totally did it, you may want to hold off. Uh, don't expect this to be the best sex of your life. Uh, th I guess this is for all oh, for girls. He doesn't know what he's doing. She doesn't know what she's doing. There's no way this is going to be awesome. <laughs> it will likely hurt. It will also very likely disappoint. Uh, don't make the backseat of a car your first time. And do be aware your relationship will never be the same. Sex is a big step. So I think the message here is can we not take sex so lightly and because of certain expectations around prom in terms of first-time sex? Tanya, what, what do you have to say? I mean, I think that the role as educators is like knowing that prom's coming up is to schedule those sex ed sessions in your classroom ahead of time and to try to prepare people in that way. Yeah. And all you can do is inform them, provide them with condoms. You can't really hold their hand and like walk them through that whole prom process, but you can give them the tools. And I think a lot of times because curriculums are so packed and teachers don't have a lot of time or a lot of training, they don't end up having those resources to be able to give to their students. And that really puts them at a disadvantage on prom night. And I think that's, uh, I think it's very important that they do get that sex education ahead of time. Um, I don't know. Has it been rolled out completely? Do you, are you aware, uh, Sean, if all of your students have had it? Um, well, certainly in the, uh, the previous grades, they get it. But in all my years of teaching, I have never seen uh, a school take, bring in the grade 11s for a, what to do, what not to do on prom night. Isn't it necessary? I, Don't you think I, it's something we should be doing? I absolutely 
believe that it's something we should be doing. And look, as I said before, everyone wants these kids to be safe. We're not going to tell you you should or shouldn't have sex. Um, if you're going to make the decision to have sex, protect yourself and protect your partner. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd like to see a conversation about consent, especially since yes. we know that people are using drugs sometimes at prom or drinking at prom. So I think I'd like to see that happening. And if you're saying students are already checked out because they've done their CJEP applications and they're at that phase where, you know, they're not really thinking about school anymore, why not have a sex ed class? That seems like a fun topic people would be engaged in. Absolutely. I think uh, absolutely necessary, uh, which is really interesting. They, they did a study that showed that among male high school students, 39% say it is acceptable for a boy to force sex with a girl who is drunk or high. So, you know, we're looking at beliefs and we're looking at alcohol use during this time. So the statistics, like, are are pretty clear on this, right? And high school students who drink are seven times more likely to have had sexual intercourse and are less likely to use condoms. So you may come home pregnant after, after prom, like, really. As shocking as that sounds with respect to that 39%, it doesn't surprise me the the conversations that one hears when patrolling the halls of a high school (laughs) you hear you overhear things that you wish you could unhear but your temptation is to stop right there and give a 10-minute lecture about what they just said but you don't have time to do that because otherwise you'd be spending your entire day giving these 10-minute lectures right it'd be much easier to bring all these kids in and talk about these things, but that's not always feasible either for a variety of reasons, depending who you talk to. I have to say for many parents, the biggest concern isn't the cost of attending prom because that already is quite a concern, Uh, but they worry. They worry about the risky behaviors associated with proms, the the teens driving under the influence of alcohol, uh, drugs, uh, unsafe sex, how how to ensure that their kid arrives home safely after uh, attending prom. Unfortunately, uh, prom night always seems to have some kind of news reports of drunk driving accidents and date rapes and pregnancies and STDs and like teens display poor judgment and they make dangerous choices when they are drinking. Yeah, and I mean they're already impulsive, right? So you're at a phase right. of your life where you're already impulsive, and then you're mixing in alcohol, you're mixing in adrenaline because you're at a different, you're kind of stimulated by this prom night and all these experiences that you haven't had before and you're not used to, True. and you're with all of your friends, and you know it, it's kind of this big deal, and it's this event that puts you out of your comfort zone, and then people make bad decisions. But I think that that's why during these talks that we're having with kids ahead of time, if we're hopefully having them ahead of time, we also have to bring in, you know. Consent and also legality because you can't actually consent while drinking and and there are legal. You're not even allowed to drink. You're not 18. If we're really going to get nitpicky about the legalities of drinking, oftentimes prom night is the first night that a lot of these kids are drinking, and so they may not know their limits. We need to females need to know that they will process alcohol very differently than. Uh, a male, and so very little can affect them, and so you we get to you know this alcohol poisoning. So these conversations need to be had. I think the reason why we're talking about it is if you've got kids who are teenagers, um, I want to I, I want to just like press upon you that it is 
absolutely vital to be talking to them about all of these uh, of these issues, whether they want to hear it or not. Like you're the parent, I don't care. <laughs> you know, you have to hear it. You yeah. have to listen. I'm the parent, and I I'm here for your safety. And that's my concern. I have to do whatever it takes to keep you safe, even from yourself. Especially in situations where the sex ed curriculum hasn't completely been rolled out, at least not in every school. So it would be important for the parents to step in. Absolutely. And certainly uh, with social media today as well, kids need to be aware that whatever happens on prom night, um, if it gets out on social media, that could have serious repercussions as well. Well, that's the thing. That's one of the things that you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have to worry no, about, but now you're, you've got other people taking pictures. You've got people posting throughout the evening as well. So you've got, these are things that we also, things we need to absolutely talk about. Um, would love to hear uh, some of your thoughts on, uh, on prom night and, uh, your worries and what we need to tell kids. We'll also talk about, the explosion in STD transmission since online dating, especially the online apps for dating, has just uh, you know skyrocketed in the uh, in the young population, and uh, we'll talk about that that explosion of sexually transmitted infections. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. We've been talking about prom on our Teen Talk uh, panel. It's not so much about the cost of the dress and the limos and the prom tickets. We worry much more about uh, risky behavior that teenagers often engage in. Not all. But unfortunately, there's uh, a risk of it because uh, pretty much half, according to statistics, half of the students will have more than four drinks on prom night. So if you take half of those halves and they're girls, that's a bigger impact than uh, than even on, on, a, on a boy's uh, metabolism. And of course, we know that drinking leads to making very bad decisions and also non-consensual sexual activity. Uh, we've got uh, in studio with us Tanya Demore. She's a, a community uh, advocate and teen advocate. She's also the vice president of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec and Sean Jarvis, who is a high school science teacher. Joining us on the line is Sean, a listener. Hi, Sean. Hi, Laurie. How Hi. are you? Good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. Good. Um, I'm going to go back about 36 years <laughs> from uh, from this date. Okay. Okay. Um, during that time, I was with my wife from high school. and um, You married your high school sweetheart? Is that what you're saying? Yes, I okay. did. I married my high school sweetheart. Cool. And we're still married. We're we're married now. Uh, we're going on our thirty seventh year. Wow! So um, what happened is is yes, uh, I do agree with you. Uh, my wife and I did have a few drinks that night together, um, with a very little big uh, surprise that uh, my wife had gotten pregnant with our daughter, who is now uh, thirty five. On prom night. Yes. There you go. Okay. 
So, um, shotgun wedding. Yeah, no, not shotgun <laughs> wedding. We kind of we kind of knew together that in high school. I mean, we started. I met her when I was fifteen. She was uh, fourteen. Okay. So, uh, so she got pregnant at what age? Uh, she got pregnant at sixteen. Sixteen. Wow. Okay. And I was I was eighteen. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, we decided that you know because the situation and uh, because of our beliefs, we decided that we would get married together with the approval of both our parents. Right. And we had gotten married. And uh, at the age of 19, I joined the fire department, which I spent uh, 29 years. So, so you uh, made a success of it. Uh, unfor- you know, you're, it's, it's wonderful, and I'm so glad it all worked out well for you. But statistically speaking, the odds are against such unions, right? Getting married young, uh, all of that. So, Yeah, and I do agree with you on that because the odds uh, today – uh, of that happening is not like the odds back then. Right. I mean, both both our both our parents, myself as well as uh, my wife's parents, uh, they came from a European background. I come from a European background. My father was eighteen. My mother was sixteen when they got married. Right. So same age. So for them, it wasn't like exactly. a huge difference. But today, there's no way. Like the average age for getting married now is closer to thirty. Imagine. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. Sean, thank you for sharing, and clearly you just uh, described an experience where putting a face or a voice to the the statistics, you know, exactly what we're talking about. Thank you so much. Appreciate your call very much. Uh, This texter writes, I graduated in 1983. I did not drink. I was in the closet, so I was not interested in watching nude girls dancing the pole while drinking beer. I walked the city, ended up in the gay village, walked into a bar to use the washroom. The sight of me, a 17-year-old dressed in a baby blue tuxedo, facing a bunch of guys in their 60s, everyone's jaw dropped until I scooted out as fast as I could. I ended up with uh, another school prom where we went to the mountain to watch the sunrise. So, yes, a lo- listen, a lot of students are not getting themselves into the into this pickle, frankly, but uh, except the statistics are there, right? We know that at least half are getting drunk, and we know that 14% are having sex, and it's still uh, may not be a huge, huge number, but it's big enough. And, I mean, it doesn't hurt to give that education to all of the students because even if they're not going to get drunk or they're not going to have sex that night, they still need that information. Absolutely. Because it's not like most teenagers grow up and never have sex, right? So that information is valuable. (laughs) Uh, Yes, when you consider that the average age of first sexual intercourse is around prom age. (laughs) So it's around that, 16, 16 and a half. Uh, So it's happening. So we do absolutely need to talk about this. Uh, One thing I want to talk about now is um, obviously everybody has heard about Tinder by now, Tinder, Grindr, Bumble, Hinge. There's a whole bunch of these dating apps. So people aren't even going online. They're using their phones for to do most of this most of this stuff. But there was a study by Quebec's Institute of Public Health that raised a lot of concerns over sexually transmitted diseases. They found that the rates for chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis all on the rise in um, 
in Quebec, and the people who are most at risk are those that are between 15 and uh, and 24. So they're younger, they have more partners, and unfortunately not always uh, protected. So that's uh, really like the, the, the rate of chlamydia has tripled uh, in 15 years, like tripled. So, And yet we're thinking, aren't we talking more about safe sex? Like you would think that it would go down and that the condom use would go up that we're because we're talking more about it but are we talking enough or or we're not doing it well enough that the message isn't getting through Tanya I think that we're not doing it in a way necessarily that's relevant to the experiences that adolescents have right so we're not talking about technology and these dating sites and hookup culture and that's what they're experiencing so it's fine to sit in front of a classroom and say oh when you're dating someone and you're going to have sex with them use a condom but if you hook up with someone one time and you're an impulsive teenager you might be like oh that's not going to happen to me i'm right. probably safe this person looks clean whatever that means and then you feel like you're safe and you feel like nothing bad's going to happen to you so if we were to do sex ed that's inclusive that's relevant to the experiences that they're having now, I think we'd see more success. I just think that it's going to take a while to get there because we haven't even fully rolled out this curriculum curriculum yet, and we're right. already trying to make these adaptations. So, right. I mean, it's certainly uh, social media and I mean the internet in general and the whole online experience has changed the way that uh, teachers have to teach things. Uh, whether it's science, geography, or whatever, and obviously uh, sexual health education uh, should be no different. Right. Uh, and there should be talk about the, these kinds of, like, their experiences. So their experiences going on these these dating apps and these hookup apps and, and who you're meeting and what questions to ask and preparing them to have the conversation. Like, how do we have the conversation? Uh, this is one of the things we need to talk about. So uh, coming up, we could talk about that, how to have the conversation. And another topic that I wanted to bring up is uh, this study that found that overweight teen girls are more likely to have sex and not use protection. So speaking of uh, risks fa- risk factors to not using condoms, we'll explore that coming up. With Dr. Lori Batido on CJAD 800. The rates of sexually transmitted infections are going higher and higher and higher. In a four in a four year span, gonorrhea has gone up steadily with a fifty four percent rise, uh, just between twenty ten and twenty fourteen, for example. Uh, the rates of chlamydia tripled. Uh, since the last 15 years. Uh, This is a problem, and more of a problem in youth, 15 to 24, who are more at risk. So that means we're not having the conversation well enough. Something must change. How? What? How do we get the message? How do we get the message through? Um, and it's not just to teens. I, 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 we're speaking, this is our teen, our, our teen sexuality night. Uh, but we need to, obviously this conversation has to be had with adults as well, but teens are the, uh, are the ones that we need, we need to get to the, the, the group that is the most at risk. Tanya, any yeah. ideas? I mean, I think it's, it's good to address both of those audiences because hopefully by getting those adults, they'll talk to their kids. But I do agree with you. I mean, doing it in schools where all the kids are 
you know, collectively gathered is a great opportunity to spread that knowledge far and wide. But I mean, who's going to be doing that is the question, right? With the new reform and like the new curriculum, I think it's a great idea, but we need to provide that training to the teachers so they're prepared to do that, especially in times like this where prom's coming up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You, you can't separate the sexual health education from social media education. I mean, uh -huh. I've learned that. Right. I mean, it's not <laughs> only together. sexual and health education, it's everything. Uh, the reality is, is that's how teenagers communicate. That's how they arrange not just sexual encounters per se, but other things as well. Right. And we have to adapt to that. Um, you know, teachers are not necessarily the, the people that easily embrace change. <laughs> speaking on behalf of <laughs> <laughs> but but we have to that's the reality right the only constant in life is change so yeah that's quite true uh, this texter uh, makes an interesting point speaking as a gay man here in regards to chlamydia rates uh, tripling and syphilis being on the rise and such I think it can all be attributed to the drug prep I believe it's the worst thing that's ever happened to the gay community because once they feel like they can't get HIV they feel like they're shielded against everything else and that's what's causing these higher rates uh, look you have a point I actually brought that point up on uh, Monday on our LGBT panel because we were talking about uh PrEP and, and HIV rates and it, it basically um, reducing that whole pandemic. Yes, you're right. I think that, I don't know if it's the worst thing. I think it's, it's a good thing. But uh, that does lead to possibly people saying, well, if I, you know, it's okay as long as I don't get what's going to kill me or what could potentially kill me, then uh, anything else is is fine. So I'll take the risk. And that's not all, not smart, but I don't think it accounts for the higher rates because this is also found in in young people, in straight people, in the straight community. I think we can look at it the same way we look at birth control, right? Birth control prevents against pregnancy and not STIs. And people sometimes, mis the misconception is if you take the pill, you're safe from everything. And that's not the case. And we have to look at PrEP the same way as that. Like, yes, it, it only is effective against HIV, but you are still you know, potentially going to get chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, and things like that. But we still have to talk about sexual health in general to try to break out those misconceptions because the same thing with the pill. There are still people out there who think that it protects against everything. But you wouldn't say the pill is the worst thing to happen to people because they're right. getting STIs now. Right, right, right. That That is so true, and I'm glad you said that because even with all the amount of sex education that kids get, they there is still the belief that birth control, other methods of contraception protect against STIs, when in reality they don't. And we were discussing this off air. You know, in education, it always seems like we're behind what's happening out there in the real world. And we, we never try and catch up. We never will catch up because of bureaucracy and a whole bunch of other stuff. So we try and stay as close as possible and not and not fall too far behind. Right, because if you fall behind and you're not up to date with what the kids are actually doing today, uh, do they listen? You know, do they mm -hmm. take what you say seriously? Like this is why the conversation has to change. We need to find other ways. I even if you have to bloody hell use YouTube in your classroom, you know, yep. to get their attention or 
or something. I just wanted to share one last uh, little study, uh, a bit of news here uh, regarding teens. A new study found that heavier girls have sex earlier, have multiple partners during their teens, and are less likely to use protection than their thinner counterparts. And these risks increase with the child's weight, which uh, I found to be quite interesting. Um, the actual the statistics are uh, only six percent of normal weight teens had sex before thirteen, com- thirteen which is young, compared to eleven percent of overweight teens and fifteen percent of obese teens. Thirty nine percent of normal weight teens had sex with more than three partners, as compared with forty five percent of overweight teens and forty seven percent of obese teens. Uh, They were also nearly 20% less likely to use condoms than the thinner girls uh, and more than 30% less likely to use other forms of birth control. So I'm not sure what these behavioral differences are due to. It could be simply that overweight girls tend to go through puberty earlier and so uh, they're hornier, I guess. They have more libido and May their sex drive maybe pushing I think it them has into to it do also with their their self esteem and yes. um, what they're exposed to in the media. If you feel like your body type is not desirable, but then someone's paying attention to you, you're going to be less likely. Nece- you won't necessarily advocate for yourself if you want to use condoms or protection because you're so much happier that someone is paying that attention to you that you don't see in the media. So right. I think that that has something to do with it as well. Right. They they certainly may be less likely to say no to a potential partner's advances. Or lack of, or, or the, the lack of protection, uh, because maybe sex is the way to boost uh, to boost self esteem. And sex, unfortunately, is often a form of validation for people, and again, which can lead people to make not uh, not the best decisions. And I think that's a nice element you can incorporate into your sex ed: some body positivity. There you go. There's another, another, yet another element that we have to worry about uh, and add to the curriculum, which, uh, listen, we, we, we need a whole lot of talk about a whole lot of topics. That's the reality. Every time we do teen talk here, and we've been doing it for years, all these issues come up, right? Issues that don't often actually get addressed in, in schools. So one of the reasons we do this is so parents who are listening can pay attention and maybe have these conversations with their teens and not think that, oh, let's just leave it up to the schools. Let them do it. Well, they can't, they can only do so much. Like those poor teachers, they've got so much already uh, to, to cover. It's like, Let's help out, right? Let, let's Please. do our part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sean, beg right here, right now. <laughs> beg for assistance from the parents of your high school kids. <laughs> uh, before I go, I just want to add one uh, text here from somebody who uh, texted in in response uh, to when is sex sex. And I was saying that, you know, how do you tell a guy's virginity? Because there's no sign it says, I'm a gay man in my 50s. I'm a top, meaning I'm the one who penetrates since I cannot even stand the feeling of my doctor's finger up there, let alone something much larger. That is why I do not practice being the bottom. So this uh, just you know reaffirms that hey, not all gay men 
practice uh, anal intercourse, and it's not really the way to determine one's virginity or not. Guys, uh, our panelists, Tanya Demore, Sean Jarvis, thank you so much for being part of the show. Always appreciate it. I think this is going to be our last Teen Talk since uh, we take a hiatus while school is out. Maybe we'll do another one in June. I'm not sure yet. We'll we'll figure that out. But uh, So thank you for joining us here. Thanks to all of you for spending your precious time with us. And thank you to our wonderful technical producer, Brian Kalisar. Uh, you can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. Don't forget, you can send in your questions anytime to Lori at drlori.com. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion. Baby, just tap your feet, just dance.